Hello from Ellensburg, Washington, USA. This is the Nick Sentner Geology Podcast, episode 103. Where's the fault at? <laughs> Thanks for listening. Where's the fault at? Where are you at? It's a phrase that's always just driven me crazy. I don't know if it's just central Washington or what. We've been here 30 years. I don't know. Maybe that was the case back in the Midwest too, but I don't remember it. Anyway, that's the way, you know, people talk sometimes around here. Where are you at? <laughs> anyway, so I thought I <laughs> impulsively called this episode, Where's the Fault At? And if you heard the last episode, which was recorded a few hours ago, <laughs> uh, I got sidetracked toward the end. I didn't quite finish the way I wanted to finish. And to be totally honest, I just got a little bit derailed in the last episode called Nanaimo Zircons. And so I recorded that early this morning. I had a nice breakfast. Uh, <laughs> freezing fog here in the Kittitas Valley. And once that gets set up, you know, we had a bunch of snow a couple days ago. And then I don't really know the weather details, but once we get freezing fog set up in this valley and we get cold air trapped in the valley, and uh, it's tough to get that freezing fog out of here. And so I finished recording the podcast after breakfast. Um, I waited for it to uh, go from my Squarespace website to my iPhone. Usually takes half an hour, maybe more. Finally showed up on my iPhone, downloaded it, took a drive up, uh, if you happen to know central Washington, I, I, I know of a spot uh, near Uptanum Falls where you can just drive up Manastash Ridge, crest Manastash Ridge, south of Ellensburg, a 15-minute drive, and get out of the fog. And it was beautiful up there, 35 degrees, sunny, uh lots of fresh snow. I just walked the road. Uh, There's nobody else up there. And uh, it had been plowed, so I wasn't worried about getting stuck. And uh, took a long walk in the sunshine and listened to the episode. And as I'm walking there, I'm like, God, I never did get to what I wanted to get to. And that's what we're doing here today. <laughs> So this is essentially a second episode. Happy New Year. Uh, Happy New Year's Eve, everybody. If you're celebrating tonight around the world, I uh, hope you have a good time. It'll probably be quiet here with Liz and I and Bijou the Cat. But uh, anyway, I think I just mentioned to Liz, you want to go up and take that walk in the sun tomorrow? She's like, yeah, I got to get out of this fog. I mean, the yoga helps, but I, I need to get out. So we'll head right back up there tomorrow. Okay, well, um, what did I want to get to ultimately with our discussion of Danny Coots and Will Matthews, who have breaking news from studying detrital zircons and the rims around the detrital zircons from the sedimentary basin known as the Nanaimo Group? Well, there's a regional story that... I didn't quite get to, but let's get to it right now. The big message from Danny and Will, the Calgary guys, as I ended up calling them, 
And yeah, there were other letters in the alphabet uh, after the Nanaimo, but before I quit for Christmas. But um, I don't know if a major narrative got set up with those guys as much as it did with the Calgary guys. Here's what I want to lead to before I get distracted again. The Calgary guys say, in the Nanaimo sedimentary record, which is sitting directly on top of the insular block, the Baja BC block, the insular superterrain, the insular microcontinent, if you want, they have a steady influx of old PCers. You'll have to listen to the last episode to get the context. The old Precambrian detrital zircon grains. Mm, boy. Am I still recording? I just had a little error message going here. Oh, it looks like I am, so I'm just going to keep going. Sorry about that. Between 84 and 63 million years ago, there was a steady influx of old PC detrital zircon grains in the Nanaimo Basin. And generally, maybe even specifically, those zircon grains between 84 and 63 million years ago look about the same, meaning there is not a gradual change in the kinds of Precambrian grains coming into the Nanaimo Basin. All right, well, maybe, maybe you're on top of your P's and Q's. Maybe you knew that's where I was trying to head in the last episode, but let me try to get there now for the rest of us that didn't quite see this uh, regional implication. I'll hit it right on the head. Because there's a steady signature of old PC grains in the Nanaimo, again, between 83, sorry, between 84 and 63 million years ago, it looks like the source of those old Precambrian grains was moving with the Nanaimo Basin. Now, this is new, and this is potentially important, and it ultimately gets at... <laughs> Where's the fault at? Where is the Baja BC fault? So let me finish my thought with the message from the, the Calgary guys and the Zircons, and then we'll, we'll um, I guess, have a, a brief discussion here about where I think I might be going in January with our discussions with our live guests. Okay, finish the thought on the Zircon. Because there's such a steady and surprisingly uniform signature between 84 and 63 million years ago in the Nanaimo, the old discussion of different kinds of Precambrian grains coming from different portions of North America's old interior, that appears to be out the window, or at least has taken a significant hit from this recent work by the Calgary guys. I don't think I want to get into it again, but basically what I was trying to do in the last episode was say that if we're moving the crust beneath the Nanaimo Basin north, 
during quote-unquote Baja BC time from Mexico to Canada, and that's roughly between 85 and 55 million years ago, which again is about the same time that we're depositing Nanaimo zircons, if you like the idea that the Nanaimo grains are basically recording the northward journey by having different rivers at different times have these little sugary grains being placed on top of this moving whale north, then you can kind of have this, this idea that the uh, as you go from old to young within the Nanaimo, you're going from old to young in the journey north of the Baja BC block. Well, that implies that those rivers that are depositing these detrital zircon grains from the interior of North America to the Baja BC block, it implies those rivers are crossing a fault, that they're crossing this, this mythical Baja BC fault, which to the east of the Baja BC fault is old North America, which is not doing anything, which is not moving north, and the crust to the west of the Baja BC fault is the block that's gradually moving north. And if you remember the last episode, between 1 and 10 on the scale, if you're a 10 on the scale, you want 3,000 kilometers of northward movement. So as you go from old to young in the Nanaimo Basin, you should be able to see changing zircons in the signature during that 3,000-kilometer northward journey. I hope I'm making sense. Well, that, that concept that the source of the old PCers is actually moving with the Nanaimo implies that if there is a major Baja BC fault, it has to be east of the source of the old PCers. I still hope that I'm I'm getting this this flashing message about my microphone. I'm sorry about this. I didn't have this last time, so I'll have to listen to this one before I post it. But I'm just going to keep rolling. I'm at the 10 minute mark. So if we're talking about themes for the alphabet series, and if you didn't hear the last episode, I'm I'm talking about basically highlights that I've learned with a live audience and with live geologists with each of these episodes of the Baja BC A to Z live stream series. If we're talking about themes that have emerged, one is the Nanaimo story. But as a direct offshoot of the Nanaimo work and subsequent episodes in the series, I'm hearing from a number of specialists from different points of view that you need to look east to find this fault if it exists. So let me riff on that for just a bit, if you don't mind. So cartoonishly, Daryl Cowan, 25 years ago, uh, wrote this crucial tests paper saying if this Baja BC thing is, is real, uh, we need to find some crucial tests to support it or deny it or whatever. And detrital zircons was a potential test to see if this concept of moving blocks from Mexico up to Canada was real or not. Okay. Uh, to do that, Darrell chose to have these iconic maps. We call them cartoons in geology. Uh, it might seem weird to some of you because you think of Saturday morning cartoons, but that's generally what we call them. 
Uh, they're not casually drawn. They're very carefully drawn, but they're cartoons because they're just trying to get a couple points across. And Daryl chose to put one major Baja BC fault, as I just described. Uh, to the west of that Baja BC fault is this major Baja BC block that does this 3,000-kilometer north journey. In my alphabet series, I came up with the phrase called the whale. The whale is migrating north up the coast of North America between 85 and 55 million years ago. It wasn't by invention. Somebody at some point came up with the concept of a whale migrating north, but I grabbed it and ran with it and to the point where Vinman's Bakery has been making large whales out of bread that look like huge goldfish uh, that I've been using with the chalkboard. It's kind of fun. There'll probably be more of that in January, I'm guessing. All right, well, this some of the some of the vocal critics of Baja BC basically say I'm going to stop paying attention to this concept because if you want all this movement north on a major Baja BC fault there's no evidence that this fault exists so I think we should stop talking about it if you can't point on the on a map to where this fault is then the whole thing's dumb it's not worth my time well, Daryl and Merle Beck and others who have been spending a whole career talking about this stuff never intended to have one master fault as this offset feature. Or in other words, one major fault to allow all this motion. In Merle Beck's wor uh, words, who came up with the concept 50 years ago, is that it's probably a handful, maybe even dozens of smaller strike-slip faults and therefore smaller blocks of crust in between those small faults that each are doing their own amount of northward migration and there's a culminating effect of all those individual blocks again to use the the whale thing instead of one mama whale swimming up the coast the baja bc block maybe it's take your pick 15 baby whales all swimming in a pod and each whale is not only moving north of varying amounts but there's little baby strike-slip faults in between each of the baby whales. And you want to throw in another wrinkle? The paleomagnetic data says each of the baby whales is rotating clockwise as they're swimming north. So their tails are swinging out to the west and their heads are swinging down to the east. All right. So we're not to paleomagnetic uh, studies yet in the series, but that's happening in January. And that's why I'm confident it's going to be a, uh, a real interesting month in addition to some other things we're going to get into. But for the rest of this episode, I'm at the 15-minute mark, I just want to comment on why I'm thinking more and more about looking east, maybe significantly east, to look where this fault is. I'll just say the fault, but again, even, even if it's a handful of faults, I want to look east. Why? Well, one reason is what I just said. The newest data from the Nanaimo group says that these rivers are taking eroded bits of zircon from old magma prisons, granitic mountains in other words, and having those detrital zircons flow west and into sedimentary basins, which are now from Alaska down to Southern California. But the new concept is the source, the granitic mountains, the source of those old Precambrian grains is also moving north. It's not on the other side of the fault. 
So there we have to start looking to the east of this source. Well, if you're listening to the Idaho experts, Brian Mahoney and Paul Link, they want all this zircon material coming from Idaho. And if you remember the last episode, even the Calgary guys now are thinking that the old PCers are coming from Idaho. Well, therefore, suddenly we're talking about the Baja BC Fault east of central Idaho. Well, where does that put us? Suddenly we're into Montana. Now, this is a huge change in my thinking and a huge change in much of the literature that exists to this point, much of it, not all of it, but much of it to this point involving the entire Western North American Cordillera, Canada, U.S., Mexico. Those that have been proposing a Baja BC fault, you know what I mean, could be a bunch, not just one, they're thinking about, well, I don't know, this, this fault must be in uh, the coast shear zone of the coast plutonic complex of British Columbia. There's some strike slip motion there. Basil Tickoff went specifically to the western Idaho shear zone near McCall, Idaho, to find the Baja BC fault. He didn't find it. Uh, there's been talk by Bob Miller and his uh, students over the years in the North Cascades of Washington. Is the Ross Lake Fault Zone a major strike-slip fault? Is it the Baja BC Fault? Is the Pesaten Fault the Baja BC Fault? Is the Eniot Fault the Baja BC Fault? That's just in northern Washington. And the reason, so over the last couple of years, I have been if you've been following the YouTube channel, you know that I've been up in the North Cascades. I've been dealing with the Dream Team. I've been dealing with Chris Mattinson, who, who works uh, one floor above me here at Central Washington University. And Chris will be a guest in uh, February in the alphabet. Um, I continue to learn from people who know bedrock geology in northern Washington, and there's nobody that has found any major offset on those faults. Like as I understand it right now, there's 30 kilometers of right lateral offset on the Leavenworth Fault. There's, I don't want to give you the other numbers because I don't know them, and in many cases it is not known yet, but there's no indication. That's the point. After 50 years of careful mapping in the North Cascades, there's no piercing points for major offset. And this gets back to the main crux of the controversy, quote-unquote, of Baja BC. The paleomagnetic signatures of major parts of the American West say that there has to be 2,000 kilometers of northward movement, 3,000 kilometers northward movement, even 1,000 kilometers of northward movement of the intermontane superterrain. And yet the known faults that we have have far less offset on those structures. So there's a, and this became clear in, in the early part of the alphabet, there, there's, this, there's this major rift, no pun intended, between the paleomagnetic group and the bedrock field mapping groups. Like, we're off by more than a thousand kilometers of offset between the known bedrock relationships and this, bed, and this paleomagnetic database. Well, that's why we're spending half the month of January on Paleomag to see if we really do want to value it or not. 
I definitely do, but we're, we're going to talk to a number of paleomagnetist uh, research groups who have been involved for, for you know, a grand total of 50 years and somehow deal with this chasm between the paleomagnetic message and the bedrock message. But what I'm really trying to say here, and I guess it's a little teaser for what we're doing in January, really only one guy to this point that I'm aware of, that I've read, has been talking about a major Baja BC fault far to the east. And I'm talking about out of the exotic terrains. Like if you, if you, can, if you know enough geology of North America to visualize a bedrock geology map of the entire continent, and if you have a good sense of what that looks like with exotic terrains plastered along the western margin, and how much of the American West is composed of exotic terrains. In case you're foreign to that idea, uh, we're talking about the entire state of Alaska is made up of exotic terrains. The entire province of British Columbia, exotic terrains. If you get deep enough in, war in Washington, Oregon, and California, the basement of those states, exotic terrains. Many of them haven't, most of them have an oceanic story. But what I'm saying right here, and I'm starting to think about very seriously, is that the, where's the fault at? How about you get out of the terrains? And you're like, what? What's east of the exotic terrains? And where exactly is that boundary between exotic terrains and, and cratonic North America? Well, the way that it's been presented for, you know, my whole career, as I've been consuming it as a student and then a teacher is you use the strontium-706 line, and you say that's the edge of the craton, and if you go just immediately to the east of that strontium-706 line, there's passive margin sediments, and those are passive margins, or those are you know beach rocks, essentially, uh, for the old west coast of North America that's existed for a long time. Well, where's that line, you say? Well, that line is in western Idaho. That old coastline is in Washington, northeastern Washington, maybe even north-central Washington. That line runs through Nevada. And so I'm pausing here because I'm, I guess I'm going to say it out loud. Bob Hildebrand, who has requested two separate episodes in January, and after thinking about it for a while, I've said, okay, Bob, yep, we're going to give you two shows. He's been cranking out paper after paper in the last decade, and he's not so sure that what we view is the old Western North American passive margin sediments are all Western North America passive margin sediments. And you're like, what? And why is this in this episode? I thought we were talking about faults, and now we're talking about these passive margin or these quiet beach rocks along the western margin of North America. Well, I need to learn more because I continue to try to get into Bob Hildebrand's world and I keep getting derailed or, or detoured, but there's a lot there. And I promised Bob that before he appears in late January, I'm going to have much of that read. He's got a major Baja BC fault coming right up through what pretty much everybody says 
is boring old beach rocks of western North America, like coming through Montana. And Montana, last time I checked, is east of all these exotic terrains. So I'm ahead of myself a little bit, but Chris Mattinson, who has been mapping and studying with students the Chelan-Migmatite complex in northern Washington, and the Okanagan Range Batholith, to the north of that, well, there's a major strike-slip fault, apparently, called the Pesatan Fault, which separates the Chelan-Migmatite from the Okanagan Range Batholith. Well, Chris and others have found geology that continues right across the so-called fault, which is a vote against a thousand or more kilometers of offset. So you got to look east. Again, the Nanaimo Zircon guys say the source of the old PCers and the sedimentary basin looks like a continuous story. Where's the fault? You got to look east. Even in the Coast Mountains belt, the Coast Mountains batholith, the Coast Plutonic complex, whatever you want. We had two episodes, Marky Rusmore and a separate episode with Robinson Cecil. They were excellent. And they said, yeah, there's some offset within the coast plutonic complex of British Columbia, but there's no evidence of thousands of kilometers of offset. You got to look east. <laughs> and so to finish this episode, I think I want to, since I mentioned Margie Rusmore, she was wordy. You know, it wasn't as much of a conversation as I typically like, but she was ready to go. And the viewers really liked her. <clears throat> she was energetic, not too full of herself, open to all sorts of data sets. And she spent a whole full career with those uh, batholiths uh, and metamorphic rocks and structures within the Coast Mountains Belt of British Columbia. But she also is married to a, paleo a paleomagneticist. And so she said, you know, I just want to put all my cards on the table. It's time to look at this paleomagnetic data to the point where Margie said a very memorable thing. She said, I think the days of thinking about these exotic terrains and looking at all the complicated composite uh, constituents or ingredients within these terrains, I think those days are maybe over. That we've been at this 50 years, we still can't quite decide who moved where, when, and whether even there was eastward or westward subduction or both or neither or whatever. She said, I think it's time to put less emphasis on the details of all these bedrock geometries, which are just mind-numbing, and instead, 50 years later, value the paleomagnetic data and value the paleomagnetic data over exactly how much ophiolite, exactly how much of limestone, exactly how much of some volcanic arc or magma system is in there. And just start making maps based on what the paleomag says about how far they moved. Well, that felt like a big moment. The viewers responded to that. I mentioned that in a couple of shows after Margie. 
And then here I am, the last few mornings, digging into Basil Tickoff and Bernie Housen's new paper, and that's exactly what they're doing. And I've been reading ahead with Randy Enkin's work from 2006, Canadian paleomagnetic expert, and guess what he's saying? you got to look east to find this fault. So Hildebrand, who I thought was just a wild card and out by himself and just kind of a lone ranger, is maybe not the lone ranger. He's taking his cues from Randy Ankin and, for all I know, a bunch of others who are saying if you want to find a piercing point, you've got to look east to find a structure, and then you have to look big. You need to look Canada, U.S., Mexico to find any kind of piercing points that show 3,000 kilometers of offset. And Hildebrand thinks he has it. <laughs> so, you know, for this winter, I knew that I was going to be dealing with Alaska down to Mexico. I knew that for sure. I thought maybe half of the episodes would be in the North Cascades, where I've been the last couple of winters. And then maybe I'd, I'd, I'd venture hither and yon, didn't plan on that phrase, uh, a little bit. Well, I, th I think it's the opposite. I think I'm barely doing any North Cascades geology, primarily because I keep getting these indications that the main story for our Baja BC A to Z live stream series is not in the North Cascades. That everything in the North Cascades is insular. And it all moved north. And if I'm an eight and a half on the scale, then I want more than 2,000 kilometers of northward movement of everything that I know in the North Cascades. And if I have to look east to Montana to find a Baja BC fault, then that means everything west of Montana moved 2,000 plus kilometers north. I can't believe it. That's a theme that I will continue to think about with our experts in January. And if you need another teaser to get interested in this series, and of course, you are welcome. I'm offering, I'm extending my arms right now to you. You are welcome to join us in January, every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific, live, every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, live, from now until mid-February, the second half of the alphabet. The other theme is how much subduction did we have in this story of bringing this Baja BC block to North America? Or perhaps as North America approached a fixed Baja BC block out in the Pacific. How much subduction did we have? And you're like, that's a dumb question. Isn't there always subduction along the margin of an ocean basin? Yeah, probably. But more accurately, what was the slab dip? Was the ocean floor that was subducting beneath a continent slanting to the east, in other words, eastward subduction, slanting to the west, in other words, westward subduction, or both at the same time. And these papers that we will be looking at in January have strong arguments for westward, other strong arguments for eastward, other strong arguments for both. And to me, 
I'm really looking forward to that and trying to work out some of those details between these different models that have just kind of flourished in the last 15 years. Okay, I feel better. I feel like that's where I really wanted to go once I got started with the Nanaimo last time. And uh, uh, today in this episode called, Where's the Fault At? We started with the Nanaimo that we realized that a bunch of other bedrock geology is indicating perhaps that a major north-south trending strike-slip fault is not ripping through the North Cascades but is ripping through a crust further to the east. Okay, well, I don't know, dear listener. If that doesn't excite you to tune into some of these, then I understand you have a full life. You don't have time to sit through those, and I totally respect that. But if you want to join us, you're welcome to join us. Okay, thank you, listener. I love you. And I'll probably see you in February for the next radio episode unless I really get turned on later this month in January of 2023. Thank you, I love you, and goodbye from Ellensburg, Washington, USA.